it's always that weird awkward time until you know it lets us know we are actually live and i do see us wonderful we are live for making awesome season two episode three with a good buddy of mine mr brent Britton from core x legal brent if i i could do an intro for you but i know you're going to give me a much better one so if you can give me the backstreet boys <laughs> who you are you mean, the, you the mean i'm better at talking about myself than you are <laughs> uh, you know you might you might be a little bit a little no bit one who better. knows me would be shocked by this yeah uh, hi everyone i'm brent Britton. i'm a, co a co founding partner of a law firm here in tampa and san francisco california called core x legal we specialize in, uh, well, we specialize in business law, uh, which means we, we don't do a lot of litigation, although we do do some of it. Uh, most of our clients are technology startups. We have a lot of clients who are entrepreneurs and they're not particularly technology. We have a lot of technology companies who are no longer startups. Most of our clients are technology startups. I've been practicing law for 28 years. I graduated law school in 1994, which is like a million and billion years ago. <laughs> um, you know, right at the dawn of the web, guys, it was like, you know, there was like William Tell Overture was playing. It was very peaceful. It was just lovely. And then business happened and start, people started selling, selling domain names for half a million dollars each. And then it got worse from there. Yeah, what a uh, missed anyway, opportunity. Yeah, I know, right? <laughs> uh, listen, we were standing, I was in grad school and we were standing around, a bunch of us were talking and someone took note of the fact that, um, so this is 80, this is 89, 90, uh -huh. possibly 91. Um, G, Procter & Gamble. Mm-hmm had went out and registered a bunch of domain names like soap.com and tide.com and cheer.com. And they were free at this time. There were, you could just go register a domain name and that was perfectly fine. Right. Procter & Gamble had gone out and registered all of their trademarks as domain names. And we were all like, what on earth could this mean? I mean, what a strange move for a company like Procter & Gamble. Because mind you, at the time, the internet, the internet was populated by mit.edu and nasa.gov. And 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 that, that you know it was it was just a bunch of science geeks uh, on on the internet at the time. So anyway, um, yeah, I've been around for a while on the net. Um, I was on the internet before it was called the internet. As a matter of fact, I first logged into a computer that was connected to what was then called Bitnet, um, and the University of Maine in 1982. And uh, yeah, so anyway, been around for a while. Um, been practicing law since '94. Same practice for the most part full spectrum legal for the technology startups. So we will do corporate formation and venture funding and co-founder agreements and governance documents and all the things that you need to pack into a company to make it look right, look right for whom? Well, for investors, for employees, for other people who are gonna be taking a look at the company at some point in the future. See, the whole point of most of the legal work that we do for a startup company is to get it ready to be sold. Right or get it ready to be invested in, right? So we wanna make sure all the documents look right and say the right things and are, exist and are, and are available and in a vault somewhere, um, a, you know, a virtual document vault. Um, and we do patents and copyrights and trademarks and all the intellectual property. And we do licensing and we do agreements of all stripes. So we do, you know, independent contractor agreements and vendor agreements and uh, joint development agreements and patent licenses. And basically, if you're doing a deal and you're writing it down and putting it on a contract, by goodness, we can we can paper that puppy up for you and think strategically about it and all the other things that need to happen. Um, we do, you know, we do employment and labor law to a certain degree. You're representing companies. So naturally we need to tell them how to treat their employees and how not to treat them badly and all the other things. And, uh, and as I say, we do a smidge 
of uh, dispute resolution, breach of contract disputes, trademark infringement disputes, um, employees who are doing wrong things. We can represent a company uh, in matters like that. And uh, yeah, we're just here to, you know, have a good time and help people. Because here's the thing, starting a company is hard enough. Being in business is hard enough. And you shouldn't have to reinvent the legal stuff every time you do it, right? One would think that this, the knowledge of what I do would be in the drinking water by now. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, but no. So we try to be this adjunct sort of general counsel's office where we can just be there and why we can help those startups out. Are, are, are we in trouble? Do you look, you look, you look troubled. <laughs> No, no, no. We're good. We're good. Okay. All right. You're you're main you're maintaining our signal. Oh yeah. Hello, Swindon. Can you hear us? Yeah. It looks. Yeah. We're we're still good. I'm just making sure that everything is is clean. You got us on your instruments. Something like that. Yeah. You got us. Got us on a tuba, perhaps. <laughs> More of a trumpet. A trumpet. Okay. Still a valid instrument. Um. So. Uh. Yeah. Anyway, that's me. That's my history. I'm. You know. I'm just this guy. You know. Just a guy, but and talk to me about Corex Legal. Right, so we started Corex, a partner of mine, Greg Karch, excellent lawyer. We've worked together in the past. Um, Greg has deep, deep knowledge of crypto uh, law and how, uh, and how that works and how it should work. And um, uh, he and I got together and launched this firm on April 1st of 2020. Um, and it wasn't an April Fool's joke, it turns out. And so we uh, we uh, uh, we got a great team. We got we got six or eight associates. As I say, we have one guy in San Francisco. We're looking to grow that office. I have my eye on Boston. I need an office in Boston. Mo both of my two of my alma maters are in Boston, MIT and Boston University School of Law. And they actually do things together like the Media Lab does things with BU law students about how to help startup companies. And I'm like, well, damn it. I went to both of those institutions. I'd love to be involved in that party. Um, so and of course, Boston turns out nice place to represent technology startup companies. Uh, so Core, yeah. yeah, CoreX is we have a goal to be the uh, technology law company, a firm, you know, in, in, in the country, if not eventually, you know, potentially globally. Um, I'd like to grow the firm to be a powerhouse. I'd like it to be the Morgan and Morgan of technology startups. And I got mad respect for the Morgan and Morgan firm. I mean, if you get injured or get in a car accident and something that's not your fault, who do you call? You call those guys. I mean, they, they get her done. So, so I want to be the guy you call the firm you call when you're thinking of, of, of a software license or thinking of some kind of intellectual property pursuit or thinking of starting a technology company or thinking of getting hired by a technology company or doing a deal of any kind. Uh, we we want to be your business lawyers, especially in the tech space. So that's our goal there. Nothing nothing short of world domination, really, when it comes I mean, right down. Isn't that really just the goal of every company? I mean, I think so. I think the goal, especially, you know, in American, in, in, in Western capitalism, uh, Grant, I think, I think the goal is to make as much money as you can and stick it in your ears and go to the rest of the world. And then I hope, um, you know, to give a bunch of it away. We, um, we yep. take a very humane approach to business at Corex Legal. We care very much about our employees, our lawyers and their happiness. This is a tough job. Um, it's got to be perfect every time or you get sued for malpractice. It's a stressful job. There can be long hours. People can spend time away from their families. That's no good. We don't. We don't. We don't like that. And we try very hard uh, to make sure that our employees are well taken care of. We give. Uh, 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 we have a nice. We have a nice benefits package. We have a nice vacation package. We have a nice uh, uh, giveaway. We we try to allocate funds to all of our uh, so, uh, employees so that they can donate to the charity of their uh, 
of their choice. And uh, we, we, we built the firm based on a set of core values that I think we consider to be important. Um, and, and we try very hard to work in harmony with those core values. And we try very hard to set process and procedure that sort of falls out of those values so that we're not just winging it and making dumb decisions without going back to the, you know, I don't want to say the Bible or anything, but, you know, the, just the, the things we truly believe in and that we want to see happen in the world, you know, love, respect, kindness, crazy, crazy, godless, liberal stuff like that. <laughs> yeah. You know, who, who knew that caring about people's actually a valuable thing to do i know you know God, especially so right now this, we see, I, and you 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 see this you see you've, i'm sure you've heard stories about how uh you know the person uh he or she is, conceives of the company forms the company starts the company makes the company get to a certain level of success brings in some investors and the investors fire the fire the ceo so mm -hmm. they can take over the company i mean that that level of predatory behavior it happens. I'd love to say it was rare, but it's 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 just not uncommon, unfortunately. And it's just so short-sighted, right? Because I think, you know, while it's true that most entrepreneurs don't make good big company CEOs necessarily, that's not the gene that they have. They have the startup, the the the, the startup, the entrepreneur, the wild maverick gene. They don't necessarily have the boring gene, which is running a stupid company that's huge at that point. Yeah. Um but to kick those people out is just ludicrous. First of all, it's not the last good idea they're ever going to have. They're clearly a smart person. They've demonstrated they can execute. Why would you cut that person loose? It's just so people make a lot of people make a lot of short term, uh, make a lot of decisions exchanging short term uh, uh, progress with long term wealth, I think. And I don't always think that's a good idea. But who am I to judge? I mean, and, and a lot of companies will start up a little cavalier more than others i can't exactly say mine was not one of them um where we just kind of operate on hey pay us up front and then the work yeah. gets done and every now and then i let a client run out a bill and then they run off on me yeah. uh and even if you have the contracts it can be tough to 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 collect on it but we only do contracts for jobs north of a thousand dollars simply because under a grand nobody wants to sign contracts yeah well yeah it, it, it no it's tough look we you know we and we we in the law you know we have a mandate to try to do free stuff as much as we can right i mean right. it's part of the, it's part of the code of conduct for lawyers is that we do as much proto pro bono work as we can without starving um you, you know or at least a reasonable amount and uh and and so yeah look we try i try, people call up and they want to talk to me for five minutes and sometimes it turns into 20 minutes and you know if you equate that with a billable hour that can start to add up after a while but i'm, I'm really trying to i'm really trying to just do more of that stuff where i just pick up the phone and talk to people or send them a quick email without worrying about charging them because like yourself if it's not going to hit the thousand dollar mark it's not worth me opening a new client and going through the rigmarole yeah. and all the other things um but also, when we do move into meaningful work, I really insist on getting paid in advance nowadays. Mm -hmm. um, I, I, I've chased too many clients for too many years, many of whom didn't even, you know, they weren't stiffs. They meant well. Uh, it's just that we, 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 we racked up a bill that was unexpected or bigger than they'd hoped or whatever. And so then we have to work on payment plans and stuff like that. And unfortunately, like yourself, you know, my job is how I feed my kids. Yep. So if it's, if you're not paying me, then we're in the wrong, we're in the wrong relationship right there. Cause my kids are so hungry. Well, and, so. And, and it feels kind of dirty from the business side, right? Cause from my perspective, 
you have stolen from me, right? And from their perspective, it's like, I'm not paying, you go to hell. There, There is a disconnect between the, when you don't pay your bill, you're quite literally taking food off of my plate because that is money that goes into paying for things. And I'll tell you, there are a few things that you have to pay for, right? You don't pay your car insurance, you got yourself a problem. You don't pay your car payment, they're gonna come and take it. You don't pay your house, they're gonna come and take that too. Try, you know who's really good at, uh, try, try skipping your power bill. <laughs> uh, try letting your try try letting your electric bill get over like a week old. Boy, you'll hear from them and they have a switch. Yep. your name so yeah uh yeah again it, one so hates to be you know predatory certainly uh and and i'm not i don't believe i've ever asked for anything from a client that was was unfair um and and it's it's an unsavory conversation that you have to have and you we want to be, keep your heart open and you want to be as kind as possible mm-hmm. but yeah i mean at the end of the day man you know I, i'm a professional and a good one and and if you're not interested in compensating me for my for my work then we don't need to work together I feel that in my soul. I've yeah. over the years I have learned it, right? Initially when you start your business it is the ideology of if the money is there we don't care and very quickly you realize that is a really shitty way to run a business because well, you're going to deal with some bad customers. <laughs> right. Okay. So especially if there's this is one of my hard and fast rules that I have broken and honored in the breach way too many times, but the hard and fast rule is if there's a red flag end it no yep. matter what how big the check they're waving in your face if there's something in your gut that's telling you uh no they did the thing and it's not really or there's an ethical or there's something just believe that voice and ignore the fancy check that they're waving in your face and we've done this i had a client i as you know i i think you know i've i've tried to be an entrepreneur a few times yes. over the past several years i've started a few companies i've had more or less uh degrees of success and we were hiring somebody at one of my startups as a salesperson and she was excellent in every way except the one thing and i don't remember what it was but it was a big red flag and we said oh but she's so she's just so good at sales we should overlook this red flag and we should hire her anyway and literally within a week the red flag flew again and and came back and bit us and it was just a big 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 mistake so so it's tough man but but you gotta you gotta enforce that when you see ethical problems lack of judgment values problems um you know nefarious behavior and i'm not talking about just people being a little maverick or a little wicked or a little fun loving or something like that i'm talking about folks really making uh a, you know significant breaches of good judgment yep. um you know, the expression is when people show you who they are, believe them, because uh, that won't be the last time you see that behavior. So, you know, unless they're in therapy. All right. I mean, unless they're getting help in, in that case. Well, good. Good luck to you. Hey, we always recommend good mental health around here. In fact, we got to work on yourself, buddy. No one else going to do it for you. We've had uh, Johnny Crowder from Cope Notes on. Y- you must know Johnny, right? I don't know in person. Oh my gosh. He's, he's great. He's a local. And for those that don't know, Brent is also in the Tampa Bay area and we have hurricane Ian, which is, uh, going to be barreling down on us in the next probably 24 to 48 hours. We figure. Yeah. Yeah. Supposed to, to, we, as we sit here right now, it is two 16 PM Eastern daylight time on Monday, September 26th. And by, yeah, I think 48 hours from now on Wednesday, about this time, we're expecting Ian to roll through the Tampa Bay region. 
Um, looks like it's probably in that zone to be Tampa's worst case scenario, which yeah. is just north of the mouth of Tampa Bay. So you have the rotation of the storm pushing all the water and the storm surge up into Tampa Bay, which means all of the little coastal regions that, that the bay impedes on, as well as Hillsborough Bay and all the rivers are likely to see quite a bit of water. In fact, zone A here in Tampa has already been ordered to evac. Uh, zone A is the first zone right on the coast down there at zero yep. uh, uh, altitude um, or elevation rather. Um, and so we are, My I personally, as I sit here, am three or four blocks from zone A, but I'm also a good 15 feet above sea level. So the water would have to get pretty high to even get to my doorstep. I love how uh, we say we're a good 15 feet above sea level. Like, like that's a lot. Yeah, that's a lot. <laughs> I mean, a 15 foot storm surge would flood my street. Okay. But my street gets flooded when it rains hard. So <laughs> I'm, I'm accustomed to that. I drive a four wheel drive Jeep Wrangler, by the way, with 37 inch tires. So <laughs> I can, I can get through most anything. Um, yeah. uh, now the big problem though, folks is that when a storm like this blows through it takes the electricity out um and our big our biggest pain in the butt is not necessarily surviving the storm that's actually kind of fun um but it's it's dealing with two three four five days with no electricity air conditioning refrigeration air conditioning might be the worst part of it i mean don't get me wrong the um the losing your food can be rough but if you know if the storm is gone and you know your fridge is about is about to to be out fire up the grill baby let's go let's you know? eat yeah let's absolutely. eat no, time for a party and we have a lot of non-perishable food in the house and we yep. have a gas stove um so unless the city gas goes out if that's the case we can use the we can use the grill okay you're uh, on a city water and city gas city sewer and all that right correct yeah yeah i'm yep. out in the country i got a well and septic so, you got your own stuff. Yeah. Okay. Well, well, so, so yeah, a hurricane is unlikely to take out your well, right? Well, I mean, no power, no water. Oh, so it's, you can't get the water up. Yeah. I can't, I can't pump it out of the ground. <laughs> pump it out of the ground. Yeah. 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 So yeah. Are you, are you filling your bathtub and all the things? No. Um, I got 10 gallons worth of, uh, big water jugs that we're going to fill up and, okay. uh, you know, kind of ride it out. Um, Irma, we were only out for 52 hours and the battery only bank. Only 52 hours. <laughs> yeah, only 52 hours. <laughs> half days, dude. Well, the battery bank that runs this set of printers can run all of the, necess- the necessity items in this house, which is fridge and a couple of the fish tanks, for mm. two days. Oh, that's nice. D- right. Dead straight, not unplugging so anything. And if it starts all to right. get close to day two, I'm unplugging the fridge for six hours a day, right? Sure. Um, so yeah, it's if you uh, don't open it, if you don't open the door, your fridge will stay reasonably close uh, cold for, for, a while. for not forever, but for several hours. I would say six hours is probably about the max I would trust it because yep. then food's going to start to turn or whatever. But uh, and you don't want ice to melt and leak everywhere. No, but. yeah, the, the the again, it's it's never see, it's not the fire. If you have a house fire, it's not the fire that's the problem. It's the water they use to extinguish the fire. That's the problem because <laughs> water just gets into everything. So yeah, the yeah, things yeah. are going to get a little crazy here and you guys will see um, Wednesday's video is going to be all about some hurricane stuff. And if we do get some decent wind, I might try to recreate the death metal slayer internet meme with the guy holding the American flag head, head banging in a hurricane. So 
uh, might might see if we can uh, make that happen for you guys. You have the hair for it. I so. oh, I do now, and I'm hoping yeah. not to have it next hurricane season. So uh, we'll we'll see. We're gonna shave it for charity here relatively soon. Oh, that's nice. I was I was hair guy in law school. Oh yeah, you had long hair. Yeah, I, I had hair down to my belt in law school, God, and it's and you know, so bad. It's oh no, it gets so warm and it, it clogs. I have curly hair, so it clogs the drains. It's it's, it's rough. It's I get it. No, I had I rode motorcycle everywhere back in law school too, so I had to braid it. I had to braid my hair because if I didn't, it would just go <laughs> right. Literally, the badass yeah. law student that rides a motorcycle. Got it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I was less badass then than I am now, but I looked the part. And we got a commenter saying Def Leppard Grant version. Here I am rocking you like a hurricane. <laughs> <laughs> we do have a couple of comments or questions from the comments here. We got Build on Sound asking, uh, what were things you wish you knew before you started your first startup? Oh, man, I, I can answer that very quickly. And that is I wish somebody had slapped me around and taught me about market validation. OK, oh my God, market yes. validation is actually uh okay so i talk about this a lot so i the best way is to proceed from my script which is we used to do startups this way we used to keep it secret we used to think of an idea and we used to not tell anybody maybe we'd talk to a patent lawyer and maybe we'd you know have an nda with an investor or something but we'd start a company and we'd bring people in and nobody tell anybody and we'd stay in stealth mode and we'd build and we'd build and we'd build and then we'd launch and we'd go do they like it do they, are the it are we getting hits? Are the are the customers coming? Are they swiping their credit card? And it turns out that's a really stupid way to launch a company because yeah. all of these resources and all of this effort, time, energy, and money have gone into building this concept that we haven't tested yet against the market. We don't know if anyone wants to pay for it. So now we've turned that on its head. And the first thing we do now is test. The first thing we do now is go out to customers and we say, hey, would you buy this? Do you like this? What do you think about it? Does it have the right feature set? Does it does it cure your migraine headache? Because if you have a migraine headache for which this is the Advil, then you will um, then you will probably pay for this, won't you? And and we do this experiment and we test our assumptions, okay? Which is the big part of the whole thing, because we assume that people want this, this, and this, and they might not. They might want something completely different. So I wish that somebody had taught me to conduct marketed validation before I ever started a company. And let me give you an example. In roughly 2000, I don't know, let's say five or six, um, I was visiting a client. I was at a big company in South Florida that you've heard of. And um, I was sitting with their general counsel, the in-house lawyer. And I said, hey, by the way, where's where, you know, how do you guys maintain your intellectual property portfolio? Like, where are your patents? And meaning where online is your database that mm -hmm. describes your patent portfolio and, and all the things about it that matter. And the general counsel of large company that you've heard of said, I think Joe has some in his filing cabinet. And I know that our trademarks are with Betsy uh, and she's in accounting because she pays the maintenance fees. And and bing, the light bulb went off over my head. And suddenly I'm Alexander Graham Bell. And I realized what people need is an intellectual property portfolio management system that allows them to track where their patents are and their copyrights and their trademarks and all the contracts that go into proving that they own these things. And, 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 and they could just press one button. They could do one touch uh, intellectual property auditing. And, and they could survive due diligence very quickly because anybody who wants to look at their IP portfolio can just press a button and see, look, there it is. And I thought this was the best idea since rope. And I brought some people in and we built this system and we built this system and it was really cool. And we threw it at the public and people said, I don't want your fucking 
in pardon my sense, Shakespeare. I don't, I don't want your gosh darn, I don't want your Galdern uh, intellectual property management. I'm perfectly comfortable with the fact that my patents are in Bob's filing cabinet and my trademarks are with Midge in accounting. I don't need to spend money on an intellectual property management system. And it failed. And it failed because it was not validated. It was not tested because nobody gave a patootie about uh, about intellectual property management, which, you know, having been somewhat myopically uh, uh, inclined at being an intellectual property lawyer, it was my assumption that, well, of course, everybody cares about what I care about. But so that's the big deal, man. That's the big trick I wish I learned is go with your gut. OK, I mean, if you have a gut idea that you think is good and will sell, that's fine. That's inspiration. That's the eureka moment. But don't rely on your gut. Rely right. on the data. Go out and talk to people. Hey, if I build this, will you buy it? And you got to be careful there too, again, because you know, you show people a picture of your baby, they're not going to tell you your baby's ugly. So a lot of you know, the casual, <laughs> no, the casual, right? If you walk up to the average person or a family member or a friend or a well-wisher and say, Hey, I'm thinking of starting a company to do XYZ, most people will go, Good for you, man. Yeah, that sounds awesome. You know, pass the beer nuts. Um, there were, you know, your spouse might say, Hey, do you really want to quit your day job? But most, you know, most people I think are cool with. But they, but they will lie to you and they will tell you what you're doing is amazing until you ask them if they'll pay for it, okay? Uh, so, so that's really the trick is to do market validation, regard your startup as a scientific experiment yep. whose, 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 goal is to, whose goal is to determine what people will pay for that you can deliver to them. Yeah. Um, and not and not just a judge because again if you walk into an investor pitch and you say i just know this is going to work i just know it in my gut well that's a data point yeah okay. i don't it's really low down here on the on the chart does on the your gut pay me back exactly <laughs> but if you walk into an investor pitch and say i just know this is going to work and i've talked to a hundred potential customers and i've got 57 beta users signed up who've already swiped their credit card and i haven't written a line of code yet but they're prepared to buy this when it's ready um now you've got some data that's a little that's, bit better yeah, yeah, yeah not yeah, a massive exactly. sample size but not bad right but you know, a little bit right no, i'd rather have a thousand i'd rather have ten thousand take a survey survey monkey something give me some data to yep. indicate people will actually buy this when you create it and and remember again that it's not just you although you're perfectly valuable i mean your time is ticking away and you're going to breathe out someday and not breathe in again and hopefully that's a long ways away but don't waste a second of this existence pursuing something that's just going to fail that you haven't demonstrated to be a reasonably good chance of success so that's you know that's you forget your family and your kids and your employees and your co-founders and the people who you're going to pull into this uh, and rope into this who are going to spend weeks, months, and years of their lives trying to pursue this gut dream of yours that isn't backed by any data. So, so that's the thing. That is the by far the most important thing that I wish someone had taken me aside and slapped me in the face a few times. And someone tried. I'm not going to lie, okay? On the next <laughs> one, on the next one, we had someone on the team who was like, well, what about market validation? Have we talked to any customers? And I, I did the thing. I did the typical thing that entrepreneurs do. And I said, who doesn't love this? Are you kidding me? They're gonna this was the next startup after the IP thing. This is going to be great. It's going to make a million dollars. It's going to fly. And she was very insistent. to no, I need to talk to some people, some of these customers, and, and, and figure out if they're going to buy this. And she actually killed the project because people weren't prepared to, to, to say that, no, they would pay money for it. So, But I it saved my- you a lot of time. Thank you. Yes, yes, all of us. Yes. Which, as you stated earlier, is more valuable than money because you can Way get more. more money. Yes. There is not an amount of money in the world 
that can guarantee you more time. Nope, nope. You cannot buy the clock ticking backwards. I'm sorry. It's just a one-way trip. And, I mean, jeez, uh, with the the queen is no longer with us. And if you want to talk about all the money in the world, that is literally I mean, where it exists. If, if medical science can't save the queen from death by old age, then chances are we're going to meet her up. So we're she gonna, did pretty good though. The, the time will come when we too have no problems to worry about. I, I hope to get there, right? But that that whole the whole startup mode last couple of years with the human malware was a thing that put me back into startup mode. Yeah. Outside yeah. of we were we were ready. I mean, literally, we were doing a burnout, getting ready to do that first quarter mile pass. We were there. We were at the start line. Human malware hit, and right on the line, we blew our motor. Just we had a quarter of a million dollar take or pay contract for five uh, years guaranteed by one of the largest defense contractors in the nation. Signed wow. ink on paper, February of 2020. Son and, of a bitch. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> that it's still up. And like, yeah, could have gone after him to pay it. Right. It was a take or pay contract. Right. Ga I guaranteed that money. But little tiny 3D musketeers that does not have a, a an attorney is going to go up against the largest defense contractor in the world. Good luck. Yeah. They're going to yeah. run, run you dry in court in the first two yeah. days. I mean, maybe you never know. We should have talked. I mean, we, you know, let, that happened. I didn't know again. you back then. Oh, well, okay. But we knew of each other. No, I didn't know no? of you back then. Huh? Wow. Yeah. Well, I, I guess I just knew of you. Oh, well, hopefully for a good reason, not a bad one. <laughs> Yeah, so yeah, you know, there's a great line in Snow Crash, uh, Neil Stevenson's sort of seminal uh, novel, which at some point somebody asked, so what is this thing, a virus, a drug, or a religion? And the response is, what's the difference? <laughs> you ain't wrong there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we've dealt with a lot of intellectual property concerns in the 3D printing industry. And I'm not just talking about the inventors that are the Dale Gribbles of the world. Mm. I, I'm talking about designers 3d modelers that might do you know one-off pieces they might do fan art and they have issues with people uploading their files to free repositories um they have problems with people uploading them to their own websites and then also charging for them but charging less than the original creator does and dmca takedown requests are effing dangerous because they require at least here in the States, to put your actual home address. And for creators that want to remain anonymous, one of which comes to mind heavily for me, who uses a stage name as their, as their main name that everyone knows them by, for them to provide their legal name and their legal address would be quite literally doxing themselves. So work, through, work through a company. That's easy. Work through a company. Form, a, form an LLC or a corporation. They're Australian. Okay, well, form, a, form an Australian company. It works really reasonably the same way there as it does here. Um, you personally uh, uh, don't need to be the plaintiff, okay? You don't need to necessarily... The company can be. The company can do it in your name. Now, it's technically you should move the ownership of the intellectual property into the company. Right. Uh, but, you know, look, one of the things about a DMCA takedown is if you're going to claim... Well, if you're going to tell me to take down my stuff because it infringes your copyright you're going to have to swear that you own that yep. copyright uh, and that is all your stuff. Now, if you're doing 
an homage or a fan uh, work. Fan art, yeah. And you may not be able to swear that you own the copyright in your, you know, in your stuff. Something like this, Hello? right? It, it's, it yeah. is, uh, it's a mini of Harley from Suicide Squad, but this was yeah. done for a friend of ours, Karen, for her birthday, which was last week. And Wexter, who's a 3D modeler, did this. Now, Marvel, DC, they don't seem to really care, right? They they were like, look, just don't don't make it weird, and we're generally okay with it. And don't sell it, right? Don't sell a ton of it. And a lot of the creators skirt this, and they do it in a way that probably... So far, none of them have ever been challenged with it, but they say, you are supporting me via Patreon as an artist, and in exchange for that support, I release my models to you for no additional price. Mm -hmm. And that one's tough. A lot of the creators that do the fan art, um, maybe we'll see some of them pop in later on, but um, the ones that do some of this fan art, they never release it for sale otherwise. If you're not a part of their Patreon, you do not have access to it, period, end of story, because... They recognize it is in direct copyright violation if they were to sell it and to mm. give it away would mean that they're not getting any support for the hours and hours and hours of work that they put into it. But right. when we look at original stuff, right, that has and there's Creative Commons, just what kind of dictates this whole world of 3D printing. The 3D printing industry is weird because it's all based mm. upon open source, which from, like that might as well be a dirty word to attorneys because it's literally the exact opposite of what most for-profit businesses want to do, right? For-profit mm -hmm. businesses, we want to maintain that intellectual property. We don't want to provide it out there. We don't want to do anything. We, we want to keep it so we can charge for it. Yeah. But this industry has found happiness. And like the four machines you see behind me are all 100% open source. Mm -hmm. I can source them for quite a bit less than I can buy them directly from the company but sure. I don't want to go through all that bullshit. So I'm just going to buy it from the company. Right. Plus, if you buy it for the company, it might also come with a support contract. That it does. It comes with a great right? support contract. It's I'm freaking saying. amazing. Yeah. But it, it it is odd from a creator standpoint. It's why we don't release a lot of the work that we produce, even if it's just internal. Like, I am going to release the Hurricane stuff. We will be releasing that. But a lot of the other stuff that I do for me personally, we don't release. We're working on a product called The Politician because it filters and produces hot air. It's the it's a politician. <laughs> Thank uh, Jinx for that. That was Jinx. That was all Jinx yeah, for the name. No, that's cute. No, that's uh, cute. Of course, he would come up with a name like that. Yeah. Um, but I'm not releasing that. We're going to keep it closed source and we are not going to patent it because we can't trust that companies overseas that have a lackadaisical means of dealing with intellectual property won't just copy it and say what are you gonna do sue me good luck so we're well, just gonna trade know, as, as as your as your comment implies you can't you can only sue on a u.s patent in the u.s or against people Correct. who make use or sell the patented invention in the u.s yep um if you want a patent globally you gotta go get a patent everywhere else never all the other countries um and and that's not cheap, I can tell you, because a lot of times it involves uh, language translation into, for example, Chinese and Japanese and German. Even um, further, a lot of those require you to have a nexus in the country of origin, wherever wherever you're trying to get it. Generally not with patents, to be honest. Uh, with patents, you can generally get a patent anywhere. Um, trademarks are a different story. If you're trying to do global trademark protection, 
you generally have to demonstrate that you're using the mark in mm. the country. Um, uh, so anyway, um, yeah, it's tough. And it's tough to do global patenting. It's hundreds and hundreds of thousands of dollars if you want to get a patent, you know, in in in, in all the important countries, right? Right. Yeah. Um, and they're going to be some that don't matter, right? They're, they're gonna, yeah, you don't, not I don't think you need time. a patent. I don't think you need to do a patent in, you know, Benin um, at, at the moment uh, or or Togo. But anyway, uh, you may someday. Don't yep. overlook these places because they're all entrepreneurs and they're all coming up. So... Build on sound is saying what I struggle with really for buying models and et cetera is I am never sure that the model I am paying for on said website actually goes to the designer. Sure. I will buy the cheapest I can find, but how am I sure the designers get what they're owed? That's always a challenge. So that's, um, that's a matter of truth in advertising. Yep. Um, what site did he say this person say he was on? Uh, it's just, so there, there are a few repositories out there that allow creators to sell. Uh, there's Colts 3D and My Mini Factory are going to be the two biggest ones. Colts and My Mini Factory recently put out statements regarding the profit share to their creators. And it's 85 and 90%, I believe it is what they pay out to their creators, which is pretty damn good considering credit card fees alone are going to eat up 5% of that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, so I believe Colts is something like 90%, uh, which I'm totally fine with. Um, and me personally, if it is a creator that I buy from often, I, I mean, maybe, maybe this is because I can flex that influencer muscle. I'll just DM them somewhere and say, Hey, I want to buy this model. Can I just send you money directly instead? Cause I don't want you to eat any fees. And a lot of times they're totally cool with it. Right. Oh, see, yeah. So that's, that's one of those, oh, there's just ethics flying all over the place here. Right. Like, so when I was a boy back <laughs> in college, um, we had, uh, I was interested in photography. It was a little, uh, hobby of mine and so when when you wanted to buy a lens or a camera you'd run down to the local camera shop and you'd feel get the feel of it and take a look at it and do all the things and then you'd go home and you'd mail order it from uh west 57th in in manhattan because they had the best prices um and somebody you know recognized this behavior and said you know that's just not i think that's terribly ethical you know you're going into that store you're using their time their energy their money um, they're guiding you to a purchase decision and using their expertise. And you're not, you know, the payback for that is to buy the product in the store, not go home and get the cheapest price. Well, you know, so, so it, one method of doing business that is available to you as a human being is to go take advantage of free things that you can get from people and then go bargain hunt. Okay. Um, and that's, and that's part of the, the conversation about, you know, you go to the site you saw the product on the site. It was because of the site uh, that you even recognized this product or this designer. They kind of deserve their little, they're they cut. get their feet wet, you know, yep. instead of going directly to the, in fact, if I'm writing the terms of service on that site, I'm going to make that a violation of the terms of service. We right. go to, directly to the provider. Now, policing that is very difficult, obviously, Damn but at least we've, we've covered it in spirit. I'm not commenting in any way on your ethics, by the way. I know I, I, the way you see fit. Uh, I know but. these creators. When I see them post pictures of it on Twitter, I'll be like, hey, what's the cost for that? How do I yeah, buy it? Yeah, cool. Yeah. Um, it's not like look, I see it on like, my mini factory and I reach out to them directly, you know? Sure. And who doesn't like a deal, right? I mean, if, if you can get something wholesale, for goodness sakes, then it's even, it's even better. 
Um, now, as to the question, uh, you know, part of the modern internet is the is the is the rep economy, right? Right. Uh, which is which is you know we have every buyer, every Uber driver has a star rating, uh, every seller has a star rating. Every business um, has a freaking star rating on every Google. business. I, I'm sure I do on multiple platforms that I don't pay enough attention to. Because <laughs> um, it's always the negative people who are the loudest, right? Oh, I mean, for sure. We're dealing with a client just today, in fact, who had a disgruntled uh, customer who went out and posted a negative review. And to put it in my client's words, you're entitled to your negative review. That's fine. If you honestly believe you were mistreated, you're entitled to your negative review. You're not entitled to 25 of them, however. Well, <laughs> so that's harassment. That's, I mean, that's, that's what we've been engaged to. Uh, to yeah. So yeah. Um, uh, so look, I think you do the best you can, my friend. The person asking asking the question. I think you you know you try to buy from reputable uh, sources. Um, you do some manner of investigation. Uh, go out and take a look. See if you can read their reviews. Um, you know, it, you can always reach out to the designer personally as well and just say, hey, just want to make sure you're being treated fairly in this transaction if they're available. Um, but it's tough. OK, it's it, it, it's tough. And my hat is off to anybody who really dives in. We in my household have fallen victim to the, oh, let's buy something on the big uh, the big commerce site that used to be a bookstore. Um and, uh, and without checking the seller, uh, the legitimacy of the seller and getting something that just is was markedly less than what we thought we were paying for uh, because we just didn't pay attention. Because we just assumed, you know, you go to Target, you see the thing on the shelf, you pick it up and it's like, oh, this, is, this looks like a good thing. I think I'll buy it. And we don't have that. We don't have that ability now. So there's a lot of faith. Uh, and, but the great thing is that a lot of the sites, especially the big behemoth that used to be a bookstore, will do the returns generally, uh, you know, sight unseen. I mean, it's 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 actually kind of amazing how easy it is to yeah. get your money back if 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 you've been so so so. But that's slightly off the point. I you know I I, I first of all I I very much commend you, uh, sir or ma'am, uh, the the person asking the question for the um, inclination to want to make sure that people are being treated fairly and that kids are not being abused uh, in the process of making things or you know whatever whatever the ethics is that you care about and that you know puppies aren't being laden with eyeshadow and all these crazy things that they goes on in the things look that puppy um, wanted to be fabulous okay that puppy want to be fabulous uh who can blame him um <laughs> long story won't go there anyway um uh, 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 the, uh, the, the thing is, yeah, do, do what investigation you have and cross your fingers, you know, I mean, uh, hope, hopefully people are being treated fairly and you're not dealing with big, nasty, uh, sweatshop co. Right. You know, before we get too far away from it, uh, Russ, who's actually a Patreon member. Thank you, Russ, for your support. Of course, uh, links in that description. If you do want to support us on Patreon for those that are watching, uh, Russ said, can you clearly explain creative commons? Can I make and give to friends as a hobby? So like, can he 3d print something and give it to his friends? And how does that work with creative commons? Cause creative commons is it, 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 it from my understanding, it's just, you know, there, there's no repercussions if you break it. It's just, Hey, don't, do that you're not there, there there's no ramifications well i think if there was a heinous enough breach of a creative commons license that it was if suing money was at stake 
Um, you know, if there were millions of dollars at stake, someone would find a way to bring a breach of contract claim under a Creative Commons license. But the basic idea is, you know, somebody put somebody puts something in a Creative Commons, they're effectively they're effectively giving it away. They're effectively donating it mm -hmm. uh, to, to to people who want to use it uh, for the purposes that are enumerated in the Creative Commons license, right. which is generally free stuff. Um, you know that you're not going to turn it around. Um, and necessarily make it into a profit-making venture. Does that happen? Of course it happens. People go to the Creative Commons. I, you know, so think of a simple example. You're doing a, you're doing a PowerPoint presentation for a, for a lecture. You're going to give a speech. You're going to, not a pitch deck necessarily, but okay, let's say it's a pitch deck. And, you know, you need a picture of, a, of, a, of, an, of an orange with a duck. I don't know. You run out to Creative Commons, you find that picture, you pull it uh, under a Creative Commons license, you put it into your pitch deck, you go to the pitch and it is a it is a important slide in your pitch and you get a million dollars from your investor have you commercialized you know have you commercialized that photograph i mean i don't know maybe is someone going to sue you for it no they're probably never going to know uh, unless you put your deck online so it's hard to police look can you pull stuff out of creative commons and use it to create stuff that you give to your friends of course you can that's yeah. kind of the point of if you're not selling it there's you're not causing any damage there there, there yeah, are no right. damages to be had because there is no exchange of money here gen, 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 generally right you're you're living within the spirit of the creative commons license by by repurposing and donating and giving um uh, i think it's clear one that has always been weird to me and this is as a content creator right i use designs all the time by creators i always you know shout them out and all that in the videos that's the big thing no the shout out is the big thing right man. i mean literally one of the things i found very early in my legal career was that people would come to me and say they took my stuff they took my web design they took my whole front page and they didn't give me credit yeah they want the and credit that was the big thing for them if they had dropped if this if the theft had dropped a, the thief had dropped a footnote and said oh this was shamelessly stolen from from joe smith who's an, who's an excellent designer and i wish he worked for me i mean that would be that would be all my guy needed to not be pissed off. Yep. And yeah. a lot of times when they get to that point and they've asked and they don't give it, now they want money. <laughs> yeah, turns out. Yeah, I mean, that's what all of this comes down to at some point is who pays what to whom. It's like, here's a good example. This is a bust of the late Sanjay Mortimer. In fact, I interviewed Sanjay about a month before his uh, his death, which is Ooh. still, it was shocking to the industry. He was 31 years old, I uh, believe, 30, 31 years it. old. Uh. Um, and a great guy. This is made by Sid Naik, who's a f phenomenal uh, 3D model. I mean, this is spitting image of Sanjay. It looks beautiful. Wow. And it has, or I believe it did when I downloaded it and used it, a non-commercial license, right? Now, I've talked with Sanjay's mom and, you know, the E3D team. And I even talked with Sid about this. It says, Sid, is it okay if I make a time lapse and we put it on our YouTube channel? Because... Ultimately, I might make 10 cents from that with how good YouTube shorts pay out. So technically, this is a commercial use. He's like, I don't see it as a commercial use, dude. This is this only benefits me at the end of the day. People see this, they're going to go download this model. Please, by all means. He says, as long as you put it on there that I made it, we're cool. And I said, always, 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 always. So, so one of the great things you just said was, I don't see it as because really that's that's the essence of the solution to any legal problem right it's who's going to see it as right and who's going to see it as wrong 
And is that person you? Is that person me? Mm -hmm. Is that person the judge? Mm -hmm. Is that person the jury? Okay. And who can convince those people to see it that way <laughs> is really what all of this comes down to. If 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 the designer of that bust um, didn't see it that way yeah. and saw it as a commercial use, well, now you might have a plaintiff on your hands if you if you went forward. Um, it's true. Uh, so that's yeah, that's really the the, the whole essence. Now, I must say, one of the interesting dynamics at work there, however, is the whole. Um, you know, like I said, I wouldn't sue you if you had just given me credit. Um, the the inverse of that is a little is a little it's it's tempting to think, well, I can take this intellectual property and infringe it because everything I'm doing is good for the holder, mm -hmm. the owner of the intellectual property. Like right. I'm promoting, uh, uh, you know, Disney or whatever by 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 infringing by by copying Mickey Mouse. Like more people are coming to the park mm -hmm. because of my efforts. Um, not a factor. Okay, I mean it's not a legal factor. It's not a. It's not an element of the of anyone's of, of anyone's defense. Right. That 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 I'm I'm doing. I'm actually making more money for you, so you shouldn't sue me for infringement. That's not a compelling argument most of the time. That's fair. Just yeah, just definitely. Uh, Build on sound is asking. So here's a question: If you make a model replica of something that's already known IP, say Doom, something from the Doom video game series. Um, how does this not breach IP law? It's a bit vague for me on that part. So this comes down to um, a, a a sliver of well a large a large chunk of intellectual property law called copyright. Yep. Um, uh, that's how you own characters and audiovisual works and literary works and sculptures and busts and most of the stuff that comes out of a three D printer. If it's ownable, it's going to be protected by copyright. It's going to be owned by uh, its ownership will be dictated and determined by copyright. Right. And so, if you copy something that I own, um, and you make a literal copy of it without my permission, then that's probably a copyright infringement. If you have had access to something that I own, and then you, without looking at it, uh, you go and you create something that is substantially similar to it that is also a copyright infringement. So effectively, looking at my stuff and making your stuff that's the same stuff as my stuff is 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 the, the classic definition of a copyright infringement. Now, when is that not a copyright infringement? And that is when it's a fair use. What is a fair use? A fair use is an exception to a claim of copyright infringement where the copyist basically says, I know I copied this thing, but that's okay. Mm -hmm. It's a fair use. It's not copyright infringement. I'm entitled to copy this thing for various reasons. Okay. Um, one of those reasons is that you didn't copy enough. Okay. So if the people who own Doom uh, have a copyright in the entire Doom world and all of the characters and all of the literary works and all of the audiovisual works and all of the music and all of the things that go along with the doom experience then the question is you know how much of that can you copy with with still being and still being a fair use without infringing the entire copyright on doom unfortunately the question is is a little skewed because each individual character is going to be the subject of separate copyrights as well 
each individual story, each individual episode could potentially be its own copyrighted work. Um, it gets deep really it fast. It gets deep and it gets subtle and it gets difficult. Because here's the thing, the standard for how much you can take from existing copyrighted work uh, and, and still call it a fair use is called the heart. It's the heart standard. Are you taking the heart of the work? Okay, so what is the heart of doom? Who knows? I mean, I mean, who who could possibly say what that would be? But unfortunately, if the character, which is going to pretty much assume, you have to assume the character itself is going to be subject to its own separate copyright. Think of Mickey Mouse versus Minnie Mouse versus Donald Duck. Each of these characters is a copyrighted thing, a copyrighted character. And copying Donald Duck, the fair use analysis will not be thrown up against all of Disney and all of Disney's content and all their movies, it's it'll be thrown just, up against Donald Duck, right? Yeah, okay. yeah. So if you copy a Doom character, unfortunately, there's really very few ways to say that you haven't taken the heart of that character uh, because, because you've probably taken the whole character and copied it. There are other exceptions that can be applied in a fair use analysis. Um, for example, it is always permit permissible to copy for the purposes of comment and criticism. Right. So, for example, if you're writing an article about Doom and you want to use a picture of the, a scene or a picture of a character or something like that, um, or, or, or maybe, you know, I, there could be situations where a 3D rendering of a Doom character was, was done for comment and criticism and maybe even satire or parody. That's a lot of work for satire and parody, but fully protected. Okay? I don't put the past this industry to do a, a shitload of work for, for a joke, okay? <laughs> the Supreme Court has said, however, that you have a constitutional right to make fun of things. Uh, Damn straight copy, they do. Copy them in order to do so. So if you're copying that Doom character in order to make fun of it or make fun of Doom, um, then, then you're fine. Note, however, that you have to be making fun of the character or the uh, foundational copyright did uh, work or potentially the owners of the copyrighted work, right? So you could you can you can you can copy the Simpsons to make fun of Fox Broadcasting or the Simpsons, um, but you probably can't copy the systems to make fun of uh, you know Fox News because those are two separate companies and Fox News doesn't own the Simpsons. So um, so 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 it, now there's another there's one other area there, there's numerous actually but there's one other area that's worth mentioning here which is our if you are copying for nonprofit uh, or educational purposes solely right. for nonprofit or educational purposes you may be in fair use territory yeah okay but it's not a slam dunk okay if your employees come to you and they say we copied some stuff and we put it in our product and we shipped it but it's okay because it's a fair use. Uh, you should fire those employees because the fair use uh, uh, analysis is complicated. It's it's non-algorithmic. There are four uh, uh, factors that need to be weighed by the judge uh, to determine whether or not you've you've got a fair use defense to a claim of copyright infringement. It is very difficult to predict yep. whether your particular copy will be found to be a fair use. I can tell you this, uh, one of the seminal cases in fair use jurisprudence is the case of the um, I, uh, Washington Post had done a book review of, uh, of uh, President um, Ford's biography. Um, and, and in the book review in the Washington Post, I think it was the Post, I hope I'm not getting that wrong, it's it, it, they they actually quoted from the book uh -huh. from the uh, from the book they quoted the two paragraphs 
in which President Ford explained his reasoning for pardoning President Nixon uh, from the, as you may recall, President Nixon was, was being impeached and he resigned and President Ford pardoned him. And the, uh, the uh, Washington, District Court in Washington, D.C. ruled that the copying of those two paragraphs from the entire book was in fact the heart of the work because the only thing anybody cared about with respect to President Ford's biography <laughs> was, the reasoning. was the reasoning for pardoning President Nixon because he wasn't one of our most vivacious and exciting presidents, you know? No, uh, no. So anyway, you got to be careful. I can't predict. If you come to me and you say, I'm copying this Doom character and I'm giving it away to poor children so they can eat, um, I'm going to say good on you, but I cannot guarantee that you won't get sued for copyright infringement. I just, I just can't. And that's, that's really important to, to leaven into this discussion. You and I can talk all day about what we see. That was what you said. I don't see that as an infringement. That's great. I don't see that as an infringement It's what either. the law yeah, sees. Let's proceed. But who's going to sue whom and who's going to win yep. is what it all comes down to, yep. right? And if there's gold in them narhills, right? If there's enough money at stake, lawsuits begin to happen at that point. Um, until there's enough money at stake, demand letters happen, right? Cease and desist. Yeah, C and D's. Yeah. Um, now, I will say, however, that even though your activity may be low profit or or no profit, um, if you're not a 501c3, you're not doing nonprofit work. Okay. Correct. I don't care if you're giving stuff away. I don't your care if you're losing money. <laughs> you're right. No, yeah. Your commercial activity is presumed to be for profit unless you have some kind of tax-free designation from the government. I, I joke that, you know, I've run a very successful nonprofit for the past two years, right? <laughs> but it's not a 501c3. It's a well, joke. And that yeah. the last two years kind of sucked. <laughs> yeah. No that's, no, that's really important. No, that's really important. In the, in the fair use analysis, not-for-profit uh, uses of copies can sometimes be a fair use. But again, just because you're not making money does not make your use a nonprofit use by any means. Mm -hmm. No, yeah, no. Commerce, all commerce is presumed to be for profit, right? Whether you're whether you're profiting or not. Uh, my dad's actually here. He's asking, is it the hey, dad? is it the reasonable person standard, or is there some higher and or lower standard that is used when it comes to copyright? Because it really can get question, kind of dead. Jeez. He's now at an uh, art college. I feel like that's Mr. a pretty good Poster, question for him. Down there at down there at Ringling College of it, Art and Design, Ringling College of Art and Design, one of my favorite uh, one of my favorite places in the world. Tell Larry Thompson that Brent Britton said hi, please. It's also uh, Doctor Posner. He did get his PhD. I beg your pardon, Doctor <laughs> Posner. I should have. I should. I should have guessed. I beg your pardon. Um, the reasonable person standard is one of these things uh, that is injected in various veins throughout all of the law, yeah. especially the law of, of, of you know, torts uh, and things where I can sue you for intentional infliction of emotional distress, right? Would the average person say that your behavior is outrageous? Would the reasonable person, uh, you know, be, be outraged or, or whatnot? Um, uh, so, so I can't claim, if you read through various copyright cases, I'm not gonna claim that you won't see reasonableness imposed uh, as as part of the discussion, but no, to my best of my recollection, there's there's nothing about 
a claim of copyright infringement that necessarily relies on any reasonable person standard. Copyright infringement is, it, with, with the exception of fair use, which I which I, I I hope I've demonstrated is a big complex fact-specific <laughs> area that just can't really be easily predicted as to how it's going to come up. Except the parody satire stuff, I'm very confident that if you're copying for satire, you're going to win. Um, uh, you're not going to see a lot of reasonable person stuff. Generally, the rule is if you make a copy, you're infringing. Mm -hmm. Okay, if if you take somebody else's stuff, there's 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 not a lot of latitude, you know, to to get away with that. I mean. You know, again, there is this massive fair use bundle of ideas out here, and a lot of people rely on that. And one of the problems we have with some websites, some places, for example, uh, you may recall there was a VR that was popular over 10 years ago now called Second Life. Oh, yeah. Um, yep. And, you know, one of the things about a VR is that you can make the law and you can encode it in your software. And if your software says you can't copy, then you can't copy. And so there's no copyright infringement if you literally can't physically make the copy or virtually make the copy. Right. But that that but but see the problem there is you do have a fair use right. You do have the right to copy some things under the fair use analysis. And so if I impose just a no copying rule in my world, am I Am I commensurate with the law? Am I harmonizing with the law? Am I preventing people their their constitutional right to copy a fair use? Don't know. I think the issue, though, based on it, I appreciate the question. That much of the law is based on a reasonableness or reasonable person standard. If we write a contract, we almost never have to use the word reasonable because reasonableness will be implied right. in the words of the contract, right? Um, uh, but generally, with copyright, you know, there's there's I'm sure there's an exception that I'm misremembering and all my lawyer friends are going to be like, you totally forgot about the Smith versus Jones case. What's wrong? With <laughs> um, uh, but, uh, but no, generally, no, it, you know, you infringe, you copy, you infringe. Um, and, and there are, there are a bunch of crazy non like counterintuitive rules that the reasonable person would not appreciate. For example, um, if, uh, if uh, you hire me to build you uh, a table, um, and we don't sign a contract, right? And I'm not your employee or anything. We're just independent handshaking. Right. You say, build me a table and I'll give you a hundred bucks. And I build you the table and I deliver it and you give me the hundred bucks. Well, I own the hundred bucks and you own the table and everybody agrees that that's true. And the law is not going to mess with that. But if you tell me to paint you a painting or write you a book or create some 3D sculpture, for example, and we don't have a contract and we don't have any pre-existing relationship and I'm just independent handshakers um, and I deliver that copyrightable work to you and we haven't signed a contract, okay, and you pay me my hundred bucks, well, I own the hundred bucks and I still own the copyright into the thing that I delivered to you and I can make more copies of it and I can sell it to other people and you can't. Because yeah, you got to make sure we have an implied license to use and reasonable people would argue with that. They would say, hey, I bought and paid for this thing. What do you mean? I don't own it. Sorry. Copyright only transfers in writing. So yep. if I if I sell you something, you have a limited implied license to use it for whatever purposes we kind of anticipated you would use it for, uh, as perhaps evidenced by our email history or something like that. Right. Uh, but generally I do too, and I can keep using it because it's mine and it's not yours, even though you paid for it, thank you. So so yeah, there's a lot of not reasonable person stuff in intellectual property and the, the ownership analysis can be very counterintuitive.
uh, and and uh, and unexpected. When we look at uh, parodies, something that I don't know why this went through the industry, but it did. Uh, putting Dwayne the Rock Johnson's bust on everything, including a lobster. So it was Dwayne the Rock Lobster. That is considered a parody, as far as I'm concerned. But I'll be damned if it was not a very, very good sculpt of his face. Well, here's the thing about that. Um, we're no shit. longer in we're no longer in copyright town anymore. Now we've moved over to um, a related neighborhood uh, 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 with with um, slightly different rules uh, called rights of persona. Okay. Um, and there's no parody exception to rights of persona. Oh so shit! If you copy, there's a the 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 great case in rights of, and as you might imagine, most of these cases come out of L.A., come out of Hollywood. Of course they do. You and I don't have a very strong right of persona. Uh, Excuse uh, me, I have sixty six hundred subscribers on YouTube. Clearly, I I'm beg your pardon, sir. Please forgive me. Um, clearly, a major celebrity. Yes, uh, I've been recognized uh, okay, in public so twice. I don't have. I don't have, I have, I have 5,000 followers on LinkedIn. So there, um, anyway, I, I don't have a very strong right of persona, but if you copy my face and put it on things, I can sue you for other things. I can sue you for invasion of privacy or, or something like that. Uh, but if you're popular and you have a persona, um, um, you can protect it. The, one of the seminal cases here was, uh, I forget the defendant. I'm going to say it was Samsung. Um, years ago, late 80s, did a commercial where they were doing a parody of, of a future version of Wheel of Fortune. And they had a, like a very future version of Wheel of Fortune. And they had this robot with a blonde wig who would sort of dance out into the scene and turn the letters and then come back. And Vanna White sued them for theft of persona and won even though there was no Vanna White mentioned, there was nothing that looked like Vanna White other than she is known as the, as the bouncy blonde leather turner on, on, on Wheel of Fortune. And so it, you can't parody in rights of persona. If you call to mind, to the mind of the reasonable person, <laughs> perhaps Dr. Posner, if you're still out there, um, uh, uh, that, that if you call that celebrity or that persona to, to mind, uh, then yeah, you might have to pay for their use of it because that's how they feed their kids is it's, with their face. Well, okay? yeah, that's how they and pay their, their, their bills. Yeah, public appearances and their and their and their image and their likeness. So, there yeah, there's no parody. Generally, there's no parody exception. We there is a reason reporting exception. Okay, I mean if you're mm -hmm. if you're reporting the news and Dwayne the Rock Johnson, uh, you know, walking down Hollywood Boulevard in his underwear or something, you can you can you can use that imagery without. Uh, well, that's fact, right? That's, that's fact. right. Yeah, that's yeah, fact. More, yeah, yeah. If he used AI to simulate that and said, "Well, this is what it looked like if he would do it," that's this, defamation. This is our artist's rendering yeah. of what it must have looked like. Yeah, yeah. So you got to be careful. You got to be careful there. I mean, look, nobody owns facts. It is true, um, but if it is a fact that you are nude sunbathing in your backyard and I fly a drone over your backyard and take pictures of you and publish them in my magazine, uh, what's a magazine? Publish them on my website. Um, that may be an invasion of privacy. Okay, uh, so so facts may be this thing that we have to be very careful about how we right. define. Okay? Right, but then we have the court of law, but it's 2022. We got the court of public opinion, and sure, you know, The Rock could 
have had all of those removed. But boy, howdy, that would have pissed off some people. Now, technically, he's in the right. But there there becomes a point where the court of public opinion is stronger than the court of law. It, it, that's a fun one to deal with, too, when you're a celebrity. I, From what I understood, he was generally okay with it. In fact, he did a lot of TikToks where he was, like, replying to these and, uh-huh. you know, being being a jokester with them. So clearly he enjoyed it. But there's this whole thing of, wait a minute... So Are I supposed think, to go after them? <laughs> I think uh, the privileged get a lot of mileage out of being a good sport. Okay, I, I you know if 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 you, if I'm if I'm managing if I'm his lawyer, we we would have had a discussion right about look how does this play. Are you looking like are you looking like you know a monster if you go after the the the, the kid with the thing. Um, or do you want to play with this? You know, do you want to get, yeah, do you want to start getting in some tweet discussions? Like that doesn't like a thing like me. What's wrong with you people, which can also backfire. Okay. I mean, right. you know, sometimes the nicest uh, uh, efforts can, can, can backfire and turn into, Oh, he's so conceited or whatever the charge might be, or who do you think you are Dwayne or whenever, whenever anybody is in a position to be deciding whether they should sue, whether they should call out the, the, the lawyers to start sending the cease and desist letters, um, there's got to be a PR function to, to that. Um, but, but, but I gotta, I gotta, I gotta tell you one of the things that's, you really ought to know this. People have come to me many, many times over the past 25, 30 years and have said, if we sue them, they're going to cave because they don't want a lawsuit right, right now, right? They, If we threaten to sue them, they're going to play ball because they're looking for funding or they're looking to sell their company or they're trying to behave because of they've got some other problem over here or they're very busy and they can't afford lawyers. And it's never been a factor, okay? It's never true because everyone thinks they're right. Everyone thinks they're right all the time. Even when they know they're wrong, nobody's scared of a lawsuit, okay? Nobody wants to pay lawyers, and it's all very expensive. Yeah, and it the lawyers the are cheap. No offense. And, and <laughs> just the threat of a lawsuit can put the fear of God into seasoned executives, okay? No doubt about it. But if there's a lawsuit that needs to happen, just the, just the, they're not going to cave just because you send them a nasty gram. Okay. Right. Uh, um, it, you know, and I guess another flavor of this issue, and this has to, this dovetails into the rock, you know, sort of being a good sport is um, you often hear about the, the, the kind and gentle cease and desist letter, right? There was, a, there was a kid uh, years ago, 10, 15 years ago now, who had been one. copying the Jack Daniels label, Mm-hmm. Um, and maybe putting it on T-shirts or maybe putting it on something else. I don't remember with any detail. And the lawyer who wrote to this kid was just perfect, right? Hey there, bud. I know we really appreciate your interest in our artwork, but turns out we have to ask you to stop uh, because you're you're infringing our copyrights. And I know that I know that sucks, but I'll tell you what. Maybe we could maybe we could get into a licensing discussion where you give us a nickel for each one or something. And it was, and so people posted on the internet and was like, look, not all lawyers have dark souls and tarred hearts. And Yeah, that uh, was a lawyer who worked directly with a PR form or a lawyer that might have come out of Core X that actually understands 
yeah. how to do things a little bit more eloquently well, when but it's required. Here's the problem, though. Here's the problem. So uh, literally inspired by cases like that, because there have been a few. Um, I did this very thing. I started imposing on my team that when we send a demand letter now, we're just going to do more handholding than anything else. And we say, we're going to say, hey, we sure you didn't mean this, but turns out what you're doing is a violation of our client's rights. And so we're going to need you to stop. And gosh, we'd really hate to have to file a lawsuit here. So maybe, <laughs> you write us a check. maybe you'd be kind enough to drop us, you know, 25 grand and We'll be looking for that. Thanks. And um, it never worked. Never, It'd be a real ever, shame ever if we went to court. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. It'd be a shame if something happened to you. Right? right? Yeah. No, but, but we, you know, we tried. We wrote the nice, we wrote the nice demand letter, yeah. and we got, we got this in response. And for those of you not looking at the video, I'm holding up my middle finger. Um, uh, let the record reflect that the witness uh, raised his middle finger and not in that old seventies way either, but in that cool modern way. Yeah. With the, the, I don't know. It hurts my hand yeah, to do it then, that way. Anyway. Um, <laughs> my point is if somebody has harmed you and you're hiring counsel to pursue remedies, mm -hmm. it's going to be ugly. The gloves yeah. are off and the demand letter is going to sound like you have done everything in the world that's possibly wrong and we're going to kill you and your children and their children and we're going to make god's own fury fall down on your head unless you pay attention to us and that's just the game that's how litigation works which is why i personally i'm not very good at it, um to be candid uh i i don't understand i do deals right i negotiate with the other side to do to do to do a deal that when it's done is going to help both sides because a bargain is a truly miraculous thing. A bargain is a deal where I give you something and you give me something back and we both feel like we're better off. That's I mean, the that's win. Amazing, right? It's a it's a miracle that we humans can actually engage in 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 bargaining. Uh, but we do it all the time and when it's when it works, it's fantastic. And when my job is done, we pull out champagne bottles and we have ourselves a little congratulatory party. And when litigators jobs are done, unfortunately, it's just, it's, it's, yeah, maybe somebody won, but God, the years of crap that you have to go through to deal with dispute resolution is, is, is daunting. I have been involved in many, many, many cases, both personally and professionally over the years that one would think would just be open and shut. You know, I mean, come on, we have all the facts here. But right. they're not because because of zealous advocacy, because it is every lawyer's job to pursue the truth of their client's case as as zealously and as energetically as possible. And that is what we have decided in the United States is most likely to lead to truth, which is which is just just pounding on each other and hiding the ball and scorching the earth and doing your best you can to win. Um, so 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 that's 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 how we do it here, uh, which means the nice. The nice hand-holding, gentle cease and desist letter, you know, unless it's going to a kid, all right? If I'm sending a cease and desist to a 12-year-old, I'm probably going to be pretty keen about it. Um, but, I remember yeah. getting my most recent one. Um, it was from a very prominent artist, Dow Bloomberg, um, because we were working with this, the Horse Soldier Bourbon Company. Yeah, I know those guys. Yeah, they owe me like five grand. Um, yeah, we're going to get into it right now. It'll be fun. So, uh, they are depicted, the guys that made the Horse Soldier Bourbon Company utilize an image of the sculpture, of Dow Bloomberg sculpture, which is at a 125% scale at the 9-11 Memorial site. Well, they reached out to us and contracted us to produce 
miniature versions of it. I did my research and I found there's a 125%, there's a 100%, and then there are 8-inch versions. They wanted a 12-inch. Wait a minute. If there are different sizes, that means somebody has the data somewhere. I mean... I don't want to charge them for it because I'd have to fly up to, to New York and scan it. It's a pain in the ass. So 8-inch, 12-inch, they're both doing fine if you ask me. Hey, yeah. You know, I wouldn't complain for either. Um, I end up talking. <laughs> let, me, let, me, let, me, let me interrupt you, Grant, just because there's no way on God's green earth I'm going to make any comment whatsoever. In oh, there isn't. To the facts that you're, that you're reciting to me right now. I'm happy to listen by all means. No, it's, it's just a fun one. Lo and behold, I end up speaking directly to Dow. He says they don't have the rights to do this. They don't have reproduction rights. He said they have the rights to put it on their, on their bottle, but they don't have the rights to actually make the models. He said, unfortunately, I got to send you a cease and desist. And it was one of the nicest cease and desist that I've ever gotten. It's very formal on the front. There's page two, which is handwritten, hand signed. That says, I understand that you're losing a lot of money on this. I'm sorry. This is nothing personal. It's business. And that that, it it helped make that five grand a little bit less hurtful. um, Because it wasn't his fault. It wasn't my fault. It was their fault. (laughs) And they make good bourbon. I'm not going to deny that. It's not bad bourbon. <laughs> but yeah, that's my story of how uh, oh, yeah. I met a very famous artist <laughs> for all the wrong reasons. Yeah, yeah. And there there are right and wrong yeah, ways to do great. it. Um, it is, it's, it's fun. Yeah. Good. I'm glad you're having fun with it. <laughs> uh, ultimately, having a lawyer then would have been good. Because there, there, there could have been some research done. Their lawyer should have done research. I think there were a lot of things that could have been done before it came under my watch. But I think ultimately, I think that is well. a truth. That is a truth that 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 I wasn't sure was was true, even though we said it for many years. We said hire us now to 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 prevent problems, and you'll spend less money than if you hire us later right. to fix problems. Um, because, and the reason I doubted the veracity of that statement is because we're pretty good at fixing problems too. Even after you break stuff, we can come along and fix it. But in general, on average, I think under the Poisson distribution of the, uh, the normal curve, um, in the balance, you will spend less money if you hire counsel at the beginning Mm -hmm. than if you wait until something goes wrong. But it's a, it's a bit of a, it's a bit of a Pascal's wager, isn't it? Because something might not go wrong. Right. And if you don't lawyer your deal and everything goes fine, then great. You've never had to spend a dime on a lawyer. Um, So you have this little two by two matrix where, unfortunately, the downside of not hiring a lawyer early and having to hire them later is, as with Pascal's wager, so horrible that it's always better, I think, to... uh, yeah, take a, just have me take a look at it for God's sakes. It's like, hey, what do you see here? Any red flags? And what am I going to charge you? Five hundred bucks? I don't know. You know, I'm going to work up for now. You know, just yeah, just yeah. It is cheaper to do that than it is to say I got screwed and I need your help getting my money. Precisely. That's exactly my point. Yeah. Is is or 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 unfortunately, I got screwed and I'm being told I have to write a five thousand dollar check. Very nicely, mind you, with a great deal of handholding. I'm being told I have to write a $5,000 check. Do I have to? And I'm, yeah. So, right? Yeah. It, it is It is definitely complicated. And DMCA is not, it, it's not 100%, right? If they don't respond or they don't do anything, you're 
effectively forced to get an attorney. And a lot of these smaller creators can't functionally afford it, right? If I needed to hire Corex Legal to go after someone for stealing, I don't know, some intellectual property, maybe they somehow got a copy of The Politician, reverse engineered it, and started going yeah. after it. That would be so monumentally expensive up front. Now, of course, you sue with damages plus legal expenses, correct? Well, it depends, right? Okay. I mean, if you come to me and say, I've got a copyright infringement case, I'm going to ask you how much it's worth, right? I mean, what, you know, what are your, what, how much profits are you losing? How much profits are they making? You know, what is the intrinsic value of the work? We're going to figure out a damages, you know, right. sort of case. like what is, what is this case worth? You know, if the case is worth enough, I can be very creative about fees and I can potentially, if I think it's a strong case and I think there's millions of dollars, literally uh, millions of dollars at stake, I might be able to take some of that on contingency, right? So I get paid when we win. Not all of it, right? Unfortunately, but but some of it. There are firms that will do more contingency fee work, but generally right. not in intellectual property cases. It's tough to find a firm that will do it because because it's just the outcomes are difficult to predict. It's not personal injury. Personal injury is kind of easy. There's a car and there's someone bloody in the street. It's also okay? the law, so, right? Yeah, and, and so 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 personal injury are easy to take on contingency because the the, the strength of the case is kind of obvious all along. Um, uh, uh, but if you come to me with a case with any, especially intellectual property litigation, which is all federal for the most part, except yep. for a few trade secrets, and but, but you can you can sue that in federal court too now. Um, I'm going to say I need a twenty thousand dollar retainer, and it's probably going to be ten thousand dollars a month on top of that for the foreseeable future, on average. Some months might be $2,000, some months might be $80,000, but litigation is crushingly expensive. Yes, it is. And it is incredibly expensive. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, if, you, if you're going to sue somebody, it's got to be worth it, which unfortunately means there's this whole level of commerce, like right here, right at eye level, below which people can get away with stuff because they know you're unlikely to pursue them. It costs you too much money to do it. it and unless they want to make a, if they, unless they want to make a point, right? Disney is known for doing this. So is Nintendo. They'll sue to make a point. And, and, and sometimes they have to, because with intellectual yeah. property, it's similar to real estate, which is like, if I let you walk across my lawn without stopping you for 10 years, um, I can't stop you. Turns right. out after a while, you've earned the right because I haven't I haven't stopped. Same is true with trademark, patent, yep. copyright infringement. Uh, you know, there at least can be argued that if you sit on your rights and you don't pursue them, then the world is assuming it's okay, right? Well, that guy gets to walk across the lawn every day. I might as well walk across the lawn too. Why aren't yeah. you assuming you're right? So, so, you, so, so sometimes the intellectual property holder must be the bad guy. Um, you know, somebody had to decide with Dwayne the Rock Johnson that uh, Dwayne the Rock Lobster was not going to cost him too much in the in terms of his future ability to control his likeness. Um, because if it was, he's got a very valuable likeness. Mm -hmm. um, he would have to have put a stop to it. He would have to, because otherwise he's going to forestall his future ability to profit from his own face. So sometimes you will you will get sued for for trademark infringement or what have you copyright infringement even though you're not making any money just because the owner of that IP needs to actively police and protect it in order to maintain their ownership. 
Yeah, Boy, it gets it, it gets real, real spicy when you it, really it, dig it, into it. It does, but when you really think about it, it's it's rational, okay? Because yeah. what we've just, what we've decided in in this country, and there are look, we could we could have wired up this country very different. Uh, we could have wired it up to say, if you create something, it belongs to all of us, and we can all make more profit, or we can all make the world a better place by sharing our creations than by than by owning them exclusively. But what we decided in this country is that more we'll get more value, we'll get more good stuff, we'll get more invention, we'll get more literature, we'll get more copyrights, we'll get more designs. Um, if we let the people who create those things own them exclusively for some period of time. And the exclusive ownership comes with the right to prevent other people from using those things during the period of exclusive ownership. And 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 generally I think that's an accurate thing. I mean, I think the founding fathers in 1787, when they when they ratified the Constitution, got it right. You know, I think, I mean, look at this, look, look at what they have wrought in this country with respect to innovation. I mean, you know, Americans have invented more stuff than than most of the rest of the world combined in the past 200 years. Um, uh, you know, and, and, and there's no end in sight. Just look at Apple for God's sakes. And, you know, I mean, it's just one example of how much, it's true. whatever you may think of Apple or their products, you can't deny that they have been hyper mega, mega innovative over the past 20 or 30 years. Um, and part of that is at least part of that is, is due to the fact that they got to own exclusively yep. the stuff that they invented and they didn't have to share it and they didn't have to give it away and they got to make a shit ton of money pardon my french they got to make a whole ton of money and uh, you're able to cuss on here i don't care oh all right well, fuck that then. Yeah. um anyway so i you know look uh, it is it does get spicy and it does get expensive and it does get tedious there are definitely times when it's like can't we just all work it out for god's sakes why all these lawsuits and stuff um because the U.S. Are, is also the most litigious society out there, too, right? We might have a lot of innovation, but we got a lot of lawyers, and we sue people. All, I mean, like, literally, yeah. people say, I'm just going to sue you. Yeah. You don't even know how to do that. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, again, if we're, if we're programming the, the country, if you're, if you're wiring up a new society, mm -hmm. you know, you have to think through the options for dealing with stuff like this. And yeah. our, our, our court system is there to resolve disputes or as you put it you know as i see it versus how you see it um because if not for that then we're, we're pulling out swords and we're lobbing each other's heads off or, <laughs> or i'm all for that. that that's nice and simple right <laughs> we should just go back to feudal rights of uh yeah hey at some point a fight to the death is going to solve this problem a lot faster okay <laughs> definitely is that's going to be much more conclusive uh, Duff, who's up in Canada, says, I'm just jealous how you Americans can get awarded costs. <laughs> oh, yeah, 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 yeah. And that's not always available, uh, right? Uh, sometimes it is. It's, we, we write it into contracts most of the time to say that if the if the parties to this contract uh, enter into dispute, that the prevailing party will be entitled to a uh, collection of their legal fees um, and costs. And yeah, that's 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 a thing. It's 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 prohibited in some causes of action and it is expressly permitted in others uh in in trade market infringement cases there have to be exceptions i mean what look one of the big downsides of of, of of litigation and the fact that you can be sued for anything anytime anywhere is that you have to respond if you don't respond you lose by default 
So you have to show up, you have to file an answer, you have to participate in the process, you have yep. to file, even if it's baseless, you still have to file a motion to dismiss or some similar pleading, which tries to get you out of the case. My point is, I could sue you tomorrow, Grant, for reasons that I just made up out of whole cloth because I'm a psychopath. And you would have to go spend a few thousand dollars on a lawyer to get out of that case. Yep. Um, and you might not be able to get your fees from me. Okay. I mean, you'd only be able to get your fees from me if I was being, uh, to quote uh, uh, a doctor uh, Posner, if I was if I was being completely unreasonable, if I had no factual or reasonable basis for my ability mm -hmm. to bring that lawsuit, um, then then so so you're just spending money and you're not collecting it back in in many cases. Um, so it's it's tough. It's, it, I think it's a valid question we have from one of our commenters, Zombie Hedgehog, whose name is Austin. He says, so "Oh, and by the way, hello from the hello to, to the Great White North. We're always happy to have our Canadian friends." I think so far we have three different uh, continents oh, on nice. here. So, oh, fantastic! Well, you people are up late. What are you doing here? Oh, they're they're always <laughs> up late. It's, it's like nine o'clock for for the UK right now. They're it's fine. Right, it's nine o'clock in the UK, but it's it's basically you know mid morning in Bali right now, so, or you know like four a.m. So uh, we're, we're we're not that far yet. Okay. But uh, Zombie Hedgehog Austin is asking. So, at what stage do you create a contract with a lawyer? Is it when you don't currently need one? Like, what? When is it best to start looking into getting a lawyer? I, you know, if if you're in business, if you're engaging in commerce, you really mm -hmm. ought to bounce what you're doing off off, off a friendly lawyer. Okay, um, most lawyers will give you a twenty minute consultation uh, off the clock. I will. I'll give you a twenty minute consultation off the clock. But my general rule is, if you're in business, you need to have a company. Okay, you generally shouldn't be conducting business uh, as an individual. And the reason is that if you get sued. Um, for doing something wrong, then your personal assets are going to be at risk. Your personal bank accounts and home and garden and artesian well. Yep. Um, um, uh, so you form a company and you do your business within a company so that if you do something wrong that gets you sued, they sue the company and they can only get at the company's assets, not your mm -hmm. personal assets. Uh, uh, so, so you don't necessarily need counsel for that, but it's a good idea to have a lawyer look at your formation documents. If you're just a solo, chances are you don't need a lot in this regard, but definitely having a company formed is a really good first step to ensuring your personal assets against attachment. Um, but also and make sure it's not a um, sole proprietorship because then there is no protection still. That's not a company. To... No, we're yeah. talking LLC or corporation. Absolutely. And LLCs, single member LLCs are frowned upon. I much prefer a single member corporation if there's only one owner um, for reasons I won't get into. But um, so the, I, I think the idea is the, the, the expectation, the need for you to reach out to legal counsel is going to be more or less proportional to the amount of money flowing through your life. Okay, if 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 you if you've got a business that's just it's making two three hundred bucks a week, um, and or or whatever, and it's sort of keeping you in mac and cheese, and you're happy, um, uh, you know, you don't need counsel for a lot of that. I mean, look, if you but the, so here's the problem, right? Decide you you suddenly you decide I've got this great brand name, uh, let's call it I don't know Xcore, um, and I want to get a trademark on it. So you go you go to Legal Zoom and they walk you through, they handhold you through filing a trademark application, uh, you know. 20, 30% of the time, you're going to get it wrong. Uh, it's, <laughs> you're going to make a mistake. You're not going to understand an instruction correctly. I'm not casting any aspersions on LegalZoom. I think they do a wonderful job. But I get a lot of refugees from the do-it-yourself world 
who who busted it um, in the process. So so you know you have to you just have to balance all this with what you're really capable of focusing on. I mean, I can watch a YouTube video and I can fix the wiring uh, in my house, uh, but I'll probably take though? four trips to Home Depot uh, and I'll have to go buy a saw at some point or what. My point is I could get a guy here or a gal to, to, to fix my wiring for 500 bucks and they'll do it right and it'll be insured and all the other things. Um, if they don't do it right, I'll, they'll come back and fix it. Um, so, so why not hire the, the electrician to work on your wiring? And, and the same is, you know, with lawyers, you can, you can, you can do DIY it for a long time. And if there's not a lot of money at stake, then why bother? Why pay money, uh, to, to, to get someone, but, but when you need expert advice and you need someone who knows how to file a patent application or knows how to file a trademark or knows how to do a filing with the secretary of state or something like that, we just snap those things out. We just make it rain. Yeah, uh, with, with stuff like that, we're good at it, and we're not terribly expensive. I mean, well, you know, we're not the low cost provider, but there's always there's a lawyer out there somewhere who can do the work that you need done, um, whether it's Corex Legal or, or or somebody else. So so I, I very much appreciate the question because you know it's I'm trying to think of an analog uh, in life, uh, but you know I guess you know when when do you need a when do you need a suppose you start running and you decide you you know, you, you enjoy running and you're having a good time and you do a 5k every morning before sunrise. When do you need a trainer? Well, when your knees hurt, um, you know, or, or when you decide you want to, you want to start running competitively, or you want to train for a marathon, um, then, you know, when things get serious, then it's time to get experts involved who know the ropes and have done it a million times and can do it for you. Yep. Um, so that's, that's, sorry, it's a mushy answer to your question, but it's kind of a mushy question, right? But, but, no, but, but, the, but the, the truth is, I, I've started many companies myself and I have counsel on board from the beginning, okay? Um, I, I, you know, I, whether it's me or somebody else, I mean, I've, I don't think you take, you're taking your entrepreneurial endeavors seriously if you don't have a good lawyer and a good CPA um, uh, nearby and uh and and uh, yeah it's because you you know your success is going to depend in large measure on the expertise you surround yourself with i agree with that just a fact jl stern is asking if a patent has been filed and waiting for review do you hold off launching the product or do you let it ride as patent pending now my opinion is you Go is patent pending because, buddy, it's going to take like two years to get that thing out there uh, while you're waiting. So you might as well get it on the market because you're still protected. It's the first to file. But I'm also not an attorney. Um, uh, well, I, I can answer. You're right. I think you're right. Um, I think patents are nice to have. And I think you file them when you're entitled to file them. And patent counsel will tell you whether you've got something that's patentable. Um, Good Lord, they're expensive. And then you sit and wait. And, and you know, if it's really important for you to get your patent. My, my, so my MO is typically let's file provisional patents on everything you can think of. Okay. That. Always the that. Provisional patents are, are short-term filings that you file at the Patent and Trademark Office in the United States. They last for one year. They're not enforceable. They're not infringible. You can't sue anybody for infringing your provisional patent. It's just a disclosure. It just describes your invention. And in not necessarily particularly rigorous language, although it does have to teach, which is to say, a, a, a an engineer of reasonable skill in the reasonable skill in the art uh, 
a particular art of your invention, whether it's electroengineering or mechanical or what have you, um, right. should be able to build the invention by reading your provisional patents, okay? Um, and you can file it yourself. You can go to LegalZoom and you can file a provisional patent. If you come to me, we're going to charge you four or five grand to draft your provisional patent. Um, it lasts for one year. It allows you to say patent pending. It allows you to tell investors, we're filing patents, we're filing provisional patents, Um it, it does not allow you to say false things like we own the patents in this space yeah. uh, or things that'll get you sued by investors and, and they'll be called fraudulent. But yes, you file all the patents you're entitled to. If within that year that the provisional patent is sitting there and make no mistake, it just sits there. It doesn't get read. It doesn't get examined. I'm shocked if it even gets opened by somebody at the patent and trademark. Only if there's litigation, right? Well, no. I mean, well, because eventually you convert it. You can convert right. the provisional patent to a non-provisional patent application and the later if you do that within the first year the later filed non-provisional patent application will enjoy the priority date on the earlier filed provisional patent um so that's good because as you point out first to file matters so getting your getting your provisional patents in early is a relatively inexpensive way to get those priority dates early um, you never wait to release if i can't think of a circumstance where it would make sense to wait to sell a product for the patent to issue. Um, uh, it, there's just absolutely no reason for that. The, the, the You're sitting on a lot of money for no reason. Almost divorced from, yeah. the, from the commercial pursuit. Um, now, if you've done a patent search and you know that a competitor is out there with a patent or a pending patent that's gonna issue anytime soon and you know for a fact that your invention reads on that patent, um, you may want to rethink your, your, your deployment of that product, or you may want to invent around that existing patent before you deploy. Um, but most people don't do that either. It's very, I mean, just witness all the patent prosecution, patent uh, litigation that, that goes on in the world. Um, so, so I say, no, you, you never hold up commerce and profit uh, waiting for a patent to issue by any means. You pursue those patents as vigorously as you can. And then when you get them, you decide whether or not you want to sue anybody. But for the most part, that's divorced from how well your product's doing in the marketplace. And boy, howdy, patents are complicated, right? Because that nice, fancy, gold-foiled piece of paper looks great on a wall. <laughs> but if you can't afford to defend it, it's really not even worth the nice, fancy, gold foil that's sitting on your wall that it's printed on. Well, that's the thing. Nobody, no, very few people, despite what I just said in terms of like not releasing your product if you know a competitor has a patent. The fact is there's no umpire out there who flies around and says, hey, you can't. You can't do this. There's this guy over there who's got a patent that, that's going to be infringed by by your product. Mm -hmm. um, a patent doesn't sit there and prevent competition by any means. You have to weaponize it. Yep. Uh, um, yeah. You, if, if you know somebody's infringing your patent, you have to do the things. You have to send them the demand letter and hire the lawyers and bring the lawsuit and all the things. It's not easy. It's it's why I when we work with it's not for the pain of heart and it's it's no. it's by by definition difficult for the little guy or a little gal or a little whomever um, to uh, to participate because it gets expensive really fast. And we see these clash of the Titan sort of disputes, right? Where Samsung and Google and yep. Apple and, uh, and, and, and Microsoft and all of that. And it's like, yeah, well, they can throw tens or hundreds of millions of dollars at, at litigation and even lose and it's a rounding error, so. Yeah. Yeah. You know, Facebook was just ordered to pay what seventy eight million dollars. Like, okay, yeah. yeah, here, write the check. No one gives a shit. Yeah. 
that's yeah. a rounding error like you said yeah. um one last question for because i know we are coming up on our time yeah. um duff is asking are there any benefits to registering patents trademarks etc to a holding company and license it back to the operating company he's approaching this as a construction company that could have all of its equipment owned by a different entity but with patents he doesn't know if that's how that works Really tough uh, question to analyze in general, uh, because it's going to be very fact specific. I would say in general, I prefer simplicity over complexity. That's in fair. general, I would rather not you, you not structure your holdings um, to move intellectual property into a holding company that is then licensed back to the operating company. One of the reasons for that is that it's the it's the uh, it, because uh, lost profits are a factor in the damage computation, and it's the operating company that loses the profits on an infringement, but it's the holding company that has to bring a lawsuit. So the holding company can't necessarily claim lost profits due to the infringement uh, because they don't have any necessarily. Right. Uh, so you have to be careful how you structure that. Um, you know, uh, one of the if if you are if you are likely to be subject to being the defendant in the number of lawsuits, then it's a well-tried and true uh, method of structuring your holdings to put each particular asset that could be risky in its own company. So, right, the apocryphal story here is that every different cab, every yellow cab on the streets of Manhattan is owned by a different company. Mm -hmm. So that, so that if the if the cab gets in a car accident and the company gets sued, they can't touch the whole fleet. They can only touch that particular cab. Whether that's true or not, I've never actually verified, but it is a method that people use to isolate risk from profits. Um, you know, If you've got a line of business that is exceedingly profitable, you don't want it in the same company as a line of business that is exceedingly risky. Correct. And so separating those from each other and putting those in separate entities is always a good idea. Um, so I'm not prepared to answer your question directly with respect to whether you should use a holding company right now. There are reasons for doing so. Um, uh, just again, on the, on the you know, keep it simple, stupid kind of philosophy, uh, investors don't necessarily like complexity. If you're looking for venture capital and you come to them and say, well, we've got this operating company, we're doing all this great work, and we're using intellectual property with license from our holding company, but we're asking you to invest in the operating company, not the holding company. The investors are likely to say, hey, wait a minute, you don't actually own your patents? What, 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 what is this license stuff? That's non-standard and therefore frightening. Um, and so it can complicate your ability to do deals with, with, with that level. And I'm dramatically oversimplifying, okay? I mean, there are ways to get around that. But, and there are times when an intellectual property holding company is a good idea, absolutely, especially if you've got multiple different operating companies, all, who, all of whom can put the IP to different uses. Yep. Um, but, you know, you're adding complexity to your life. You're adding different books, different accounting, um, you know. Uh, different gonna, filings to three-letter organizations. Superhero CPA, you're going to do all the filings and all the things that have to happen every year to keep those companies alive and mm -hmm. tax returns and all the things. Um, does People do it every day, okay? But it's it's just, it's not, it's, it's very, very different from owning a, a, you know, solo practitioner or mom and pop, if you yeah. will, uh, you know, LLC. Um, now, I've spoken with Duff and I would say, Duff, where we are all at in our lives, let's go with no. <laughs> it's not. It's not worth it for you. Um, it's just. It's not. And yeah. and I agree. Don't don't get it muddy, especially if you're looking to bring on. You know whether it's a financial partner or a partner for some sweat equity. Keep it simple, and then once you get your your community 
of people, whether it's, you know, VCs, lawyers, whatever it might be, then get together with them as a collective and make a decision of how you want to handle your assets, intellectual property, and all of that. Like when we refile, we're going to be moving assets around in 3D Musketeers to get some assets away from 3D Musketeers, which can be inherently risky. We're selling them to another company that I own because it makes more sense to separate the assets of the company just from a liability standpoint. And because I need to insure some of these assets and I can't insure them at 3D Musketeers because 3D Musketeers is not insurable. Yay. Uh -huh. right. So there you go. So there's a good rationale. There's a good rationale for sort of asset allocation yep. and, uh, and you know diversifying the holdings, if you would not really diversifying structuring, you know, some hyper structuring the holdings uh, in a way that um, yeah makes makes things more more um, tastier for people like your insurance companies. But you know, again, if I'm if I'm investors counsel or buyers counsel and I come to your company and we're doing due diligence because some my client's about to write you a big check. Uh, one of my first questions is show me what you own. Do you own your assets? Do you own your intellectual property? Do we have good title? Do you have contracts in place that get over that, get over that coffee table sculpture issue we were talking about earlier where, yep. you know, do you really, did you really own this? And do you have a good contract that says you do and that sort of thing? And if the answer is, oh, we license all of our intellectual property from our holding company. I'm just, I got red flags going up all over the place, right? At that point, it's like, okay, you're probably trying to pull a fast one here. You're probably trying to, you know, deprive my clients of the full profitability of the intellectual property corpus that you own. And I'm more interested in that than this particular operating company. So again, now we're just having a longer conversation, which delays my client writing you a check or perhaps even prevents it, right? So it's very true. Well, and you're doing a lot of interesting stuff now. You want to you wanna tell us about what, what you're – you started doing some social media stuff that I saw. That's when I said, hey, you should come on my podcast. So thank you. Uh, as, as you've gathered, Grant, I'm, you put a microphone in my face or a camera, and I'm not particularly shy about um, – No, we had I, a comment earlier saying that you talk more than me, which no one's I, ever said that one before. I said that's I why I like you. Pretty fast clock speed when it comes to the talking. Um, and I, I apparently don't need to breathe very much. So um, I uh, listen, I've been wanting to do videos online since YouTube was invented um, and just just needed because it turns out and this is one of the reasons I haven't been a particularly successful entrepreneur uh, is because I run a very busy law practice. It turns out I have a full-time job um, and you don't succeed at entrepreneurship on nights and weekends. It turns out if that's no, you all don't. you got uh, and you got to, you got to own it. You got to dive in and go all in. Um, and so that literally what has been preventing me from doing videos and shorts and legal minutes and all these things uh, is just, I haven't had time. I've needed the right people to come along and own this for me. And literally just like, just let me be the talent. Okay. Put an X, tape an X on the floor, show me where to stand and then say action and, and I'll do the thing. Uh, but I can't be involved in this, that, and the other thing and looking at the floor and renting the equipment and all this stuff. And it, I've, I've had a number of false starts over the years where I've gotten down the road with people and there have been video footage created of me as we're walking you know, down the streets of San Francisco talking about entrepreneurship and all the stuff. And, and, and it just, I haven't been able to just make it happen. And it's my own fault because I haven't spun enough cycles on it. Um, but again, I keep falling back on the issue that, well, you know, trying to bring the kids with the law practice over here. So 
finally, I got good people. We at Corex have great people. We got this guy named Chad Valentine, who's just been amazing. Uh, we hired uh, a videographer uh, for some of that footage that you saw, uh, who did a wonderful job. Yeah, and um, uh, and there's so there's, there's more to come. In fact, I was going to drop a couple of things today, but I didn't want to compete with this. Uh, uh, first of all, and second of all, the hurricane's coming. So so I figured nobody's going to be checking their social media for a few days. We'll probably hit the breaks until the next week. Um, I will tell but you. Expect to see more. No, expect to see more. I'm gonna I'm gonna try to do actually helpful tips and hints. I mean, it's all marketing. Let's be candid. It's all marketing. The whole yeah. point of doing all this is to one, feed my ego, which is a hungry bastard. <laughs> I number feel you two, there. <laughs> and number two, uh, <laughs> to drive business to my law firm. God, I, I I have to like be public about the fact that I'm a YouTuber now, and it's just really weird. Because I'm like, okay, yeah, at, at more than 5,000 subscribers, you kind of have to mention it when you talk to people. Yeah, you're an influencer now, dude. No, I'm a content creator. Do not use that word here. Okay. God, All right. I hate well, the word influence. Well, you influence me every day, Grant. So, <laughs> Look, I will tell you, it is not, it is some of the most uh, rewarding, personally, but one of the worst business decisions I have ever made has been this youtube channel it has been a lost leader since day one and i am now on my third year of doing podcasts every you know, single week that's the but kind of thing that could just take off unexpectedly and do the hockey stick and 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 you'll be you know it's it's a halting problem you don't want to quit right because it could succeed tomorrow so. well, and similar to your field right we have all these questions here that to you might be very simple ones, but to guys like myself and the people in the in the comments, we don't know anything about this. And having a place where we can go to get that information makes you the thought leader. That's why we're yeah. doing it too. Because when yeah. a client says, well, how does this 3D printing thing work? Here's a video. Yeah. Well, what about 3D printing versus injection molding? Here's another video. Because that keeps me from doing a bunch of extra work and then I can give you this whole plethora. Absolutely. And I've talked about it here before, something I would mention to you too. We are going to be doing paid classes soon online where we can pre-record it, right? It's not live. It's all pre-recorded. Mm -hmm. yeah. It's deeper than what we give away for free on YouTube. And it's a good way for us to make a little extra money on the side for what is evergreen content technically. So so here's something I'm going to I'm going to pre-announce uh, and only only your listeners are going to know this. And it's not something I'm going to talk about for, for a while now, but it's just a, just a little preview. Um, I feel as though there are a lot of people out there who should call me who don't uh, because they don't want to pay me thousands of dollars, but they need to form a company and they need a little on-ramp into how to do this. And I'm hoping to put together a little SaaS, a little website, a little, a little, a little place, might be calling it the on-ramp. I don't know. I haven't done the trademark research yet, uh, but where people can go to form their own company, get their documents, documents that have been written by me and my mm -hmm. team and approved and vetted. Uh, and do some cap table management and do some rudimentary legal work, you know, print out an NDA when they need one, stuff like that. Um, and so, so, so no, no, no specifics yet. We're right in the formative stages here, but at some point there will be a, there will be a SAS where you can go and do some things that you would normally pay me several thousand dollars to do uh, for, for, for much less money, uh, probably on a subscription basis, um, but a few hundred a year and that'll be it. So. As a small business, that would be something that I would love to see because it's something that we could have used very early on. Like, I've got a very good NDA now. It's 
we leave pre-signed on our website for people to download and sign because I just don't give a shit anymore. Um, and it, it is one of those cases where having that legal team, having that assistance, knowing you when I first started back in 2016, holy shit, I feel like I would have had a much better time than we did when we started. So, um, you know, Brent, I've linked Corex Legal and uh, some other things down in the, in the description for everybody. And of course, this will be live audio only in one week. So those Ooh. that don't catch it live on YouTube will be able to listen to it on Spotify, Apple, wherever they do get their podcasts. But seriously, right there. All right, man. Great. I appreciate it. Entirely it. my pleasure. I, 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 we all went almost two hours. I'm shocked if people have been actually sitting out there for, for an hour and 52 minutes listening to us ramble about this stuff. But thank you, everybody, for your, uh, for your participation. And thank you, Grant, for the stage. I always appreciate the opportunity. Yeah, man. Hey, you, whether we're on camera or not. So anytime you ever want to come on, you are always welcome to be a guest and uh, appreciate I, it. I love working with you, buddy. It's same, we, same. Let's everyone be safe. If you're in Florida, you know, yeah, you do the thing. Don't hoard the water. Or the yep. toilet. And as always, everybody <laughs> stay safe out there. Don't forget to call your loved ones. And as always, keep making awesome. Oh, Have a good I one. Love that. I love that. That's good. I, I've been saying keep Keep on innovating. Uh, it's it's why it's called making awesome. <laughs> there we go. Hello. All right, bye, man.